that ball snapped, you know, they have to believe in what it is that they've got. They have to believe in what it is that they see. And if they're worried about making mistakes, it's like being a leader. You know, if you sit there and dwell over every little thing and you can't make a decision and move forward, there's no perfect decision. There's no perfect plan. So at some point in time, you got to believe in what it is you're doing and, and, and move forward. Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast, where adverse moments become building blocks for the future. And knowledge nuggets aren't something you eat, but something you learn. As always, you can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. So be sure to subscribe and leave a comment. And with that said, let's get after it. Today we want to welcome, in my opinion, the number one competitor we have ever seen in the state of Ohio. From being a multi-sport athlete at DeSales High School in Columbus, being an unbeaten three-time state champion. Yes, Black, you heard that right. Uh, and most people still say he's the best heavyweight champ this state has ever seen. To then making 50 consecutive starts at nose guard at Ohio State, then coaching at Ohio State for almost 14 years, winning a crazy amount of games, two national championships, then coming here to Cincinnati, turning the program into the best in the conference and winning the AAC Coach of the Year. Welcome to the UDP, Coach. <laughs> Thanks, guys. That's um, don't know. We needed all that. But, uh, <laughs> I guess in this quarantine, you got you got to build yourself up sometimes too. Hey, I, I was like, when we got Coach Fickle on here, I said we got to do you right, and I started doing all the research. <laughs> in uh, in in uh, a couple of your friends and, and coworkers said uh, how good of a, a wrestler you were, and I knew you were good, but I didn't know how good. I mean, you are you were incredible. Well, those were the days, you know, and and. I'm not sure it was undefeated, but the last three years maybe. But before that, we took some we took some uh, some tough losses. Um, but hey, something else when you started about four or five years old too. So, so was WWE ever uh, in your sights? <laughs> no, no. You know, I think the uh, football thing kind of won that over. But uh, you know, you saw a lot of those guys from the wrestling not go towards the WWE, but they went towards the Ultimate Fighting in a lot more ways. So I'm glad this football thing has uh, has worked out for me because. I'm not sure if it, uh, I don't think it would have been the WWE, but that, that ultimate fighting thing, unfortunately, went a pretty good route for a lot of those guys. So and I'm not sure that that's something that would have given me the longevity to be able to have six kids too. Right, right. And, and success, you know, <laughs> a lot of success. Um, so I want to get it started off, Coach, with, um, I thought, you know, a lot of people seem to maybe to be surprised, maybe not, at least in my opinion, that you turned down the Michigan State job. But I think it didn't come to a surprise for many of your friends and coworkers um, you know, I've been able to spoke fortunately with, uh, we interviewed here on the podcast, Mike Bone, John Brandon, Scott Guggins, all people you've worked with, uh, spoke with Dan Horde, you know, voice of the Bearcats. We had urban Meyer on last week and then such as Todd and Bill friends of yours. And the one resounding thing that they all said in kind of our pre-work for the podcast is that family culture and people matter most to you. Can you kind of touch upon, you know, how important family and culture and your decision to stay here in Cincinnati? Well, I think it, it, there's everything that wraps up in, in a lot of those things. And first and foremost, you know, when we got into this business as a, my wife and I, um, I say it's a partnership because it's crazy, you know, what what you got to do, not only just because of, you know, how the business is and meaning travel and the time spent with a lot of 18 to 22 year olds, um, but also to have a family. And when we got into this, we said, look, we're not going to be running around the country. And you know, maybe we have to in a very at a very young age. You know, before we had a family, but once we, you know, start a family and things like that, we got to make decisions what's best for all of us. Um, you know, and so when we came here, it was a big decision for us and the family. But it's, you know, it was one of those things where it was time 
um, to take this next step. And it was going to be a good opportunity, not just for me, but for the entire family. Uh, but we want to go someplace where we b- truly believe that we wouldn't have to pick up and move um, if we had some success or the other opportunities came. And uh, so that's, you know, was, was the idea coming here and getting here and even being, you know, better than what I had thought. And I don't just mean the football. I just mean the ability for your family to live and enjoy and uh, be able to grow outside of, you know, a smaller little college towns in a lot of ways, because that's you know what happens a lot of times in some of these jobs. If you look at them, a lot of these colleges are in smaller college towns. And, you know, so it's a little bit different for families. Um, so that had a lot to do with that, as well as, you know, when you really start to break it down, the people are, are incredibly important to enjoy what it is you're doing. Um, and I think the thing that gets left out as much as anything is the locker room. And people, I mean, what do you mean? Well, not just the team you have on the field, but the locker room that you have that do you really, really enjoy to be around, not just the coaches that, you know, that you might know and spend some time with, but do you really enjoy to be around those kids that are in the locker room and where you see everything going, you know, do you see it continuing to have a, uh, an ability to continue to grow? You know, I think for me has a lot to do with that as, you know, trying to figure out how, why some people leave different places. And a lot of times they feel like maybe they've plateaued or they've maxed out, or maybe they don't really enjoy deep down inside some of the other things that go along with what it is we do. Yeah. And rumor has it kind of going before we kind of leave the family subject, but the, you had 75 people. Is this true? 75 people for Thanksgiving this past year. Is that the, is that Uh, something of that sort? 50 plus. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. It's upwards of 70. And, I'm not sure if it was this year or last year, you know, because this past year we had to travel. I can't remember whichever one. They, they all kind of run together. But when <laughs> we have it and we've had it probably the last eight years, it's upwards of 70. <laughs> I was 70 asking, I was like, how do they even find? I know you got a, a bigger house than the most, but you got, uh, I mean, 75 people in a house is incredible. Well, there's, there's a lot of little ones. You know, and they don't take <laughs> up nearly as much space, but they also add to the decibel level a lot more. So. <laughs> Can we- to be able to have the decent weather, you get a, you can kick them out of the house, uh, really helps. What's difficult is trying to find a place to take that nap after Thanksgiving dinner uh, with that many people. So that's probably the most difficult thing. <laughs> yeah, you get that tryptophan in you, and you, you get that. Yeah, there's nowhere to nap with 75 people. They're running around. There's- Can't we lay on the floor and stuff like that? <laughs> well, good. Do we want to uh, before we move forward? I know Kyle wants. To, we're going to talk about uh, you know some adversity in your career, but. Uh, we do have an interesting clip. I think our producer has it queued up. Uh, still kind of along the family dynamic. Figured you might have a little fun with this one. Oh, I love Luke. Oh, let's see. Say, uh, are you done having twins? <laughs> <laughs> you got two sets of twins, and uh, the second one wasn't planned. And he was actually, I mean, he's going to be like 80 years old, and he's going to have still young kids. And when we, walked, we got on a big plane to go to Washington, D.C. to meet President Obama after we won the national championship in 2014, and I remember walking on the plane and turning right, and basically the whole row was taken up by fickles. <laughs> and I looked at Luke and Amy, and I said, hey, enough's enough, man. Uh, I, mean, I don't know how they do it. No more. I don't know how the fickles so, and the Freemans do so, it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, needless to say, before we uh, you know, before we ended our conversation with Coach Meyer last week, uh, you know, we know, you know, you guys obviously have a relationship and having spent some time with you uh, and your family uh, and, and knowing that you do have two sets of twins, also have another boy and a daughter. Uh, just, <laughs> we thought that would be something cool that we wanted to kind of say, you know, what would be one thing you would say to, to Luke? So um, I don't know the statistics, but 
you're one of the few or not only people that I know who two has sets two twins. sets of twins. Incredible. Can elaborate on that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's 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 not uh, something that I try to tell my wife. She you know forgets sometimes in biology or health class that I don't know that I had a lot to do with that. I mean, that's those things, those eggs split. And for us, it was you know kind of a grace of God. And we try to say, you know, identical twins. Um, I don't know that the male side of things has a lot to do with that. It's that's kind of so when things happen bad or things go are going wrong, the kids are crazy. You know, she likes to get frustrated at at me and look what you did to me. And I try to remind her that, you know, biological, that has much more to do with you than it does with me. So, um, I like it. you know what I mean by that. But I, the, the best story about this is, and this is what I told Coach Meyer. So my first son was born, um, basically his first season was 2002, where we won a national championship. Uh, my daughter then was the following after whatever, her first year basically was 2013 first season, um, which we got beat in the national championship. No, not 2013. I'm sorry, 2006. We got beat in the national championship, and then I had the other set of twins that were that came right as we uh, went to the next year in 2007 national championship, and then we had the other the last set of twins in 2014 before the football season, and we went and went and won the national championship. So as Coach Meyer made fun of these things, they're like, "That's enough." I said, "You're right. This is enough." If we're going to win another national title, it's going to be on our own. It's not going to be us because we had another set of, whether it was twins or a kid, that gave us the opportunity to go to a national championship. From now on, we're on our own to try to do this without a set of, uh, with a newborn or the set of twins. I love that game plan. That is hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. Well, those at UC are now probably saying, hey, hey we need Luke and Amy, let's, let's go. come on. We let's need go. <laughs> national championship. Well, I, we need to have some more We're, we're going to leave that to the Freemans or somebody else on the staff <laughs> to see. It wasn't the head coach that was that. So I got we got to hire somebody that's going to continue to have these kids to, oh, to give us that, that golden ticket to – you know, to the next, to the next stop. Like it. Speaking of uh, coach Freeman and some of your staff, I know um, you've assembled quite the team and, and I know uh, having a, a great coaching staff, like we both played at Miami, how important coaches and obviously the recruiting and the culture. How have you, I guess, rebuilt um, you from when, since you came here, I know there were some, some good things going on, but you really obviously taking the program from, you know, a, a lower step to then being an elite program. How, how have you done that? I know it's a broad question, but what are maybe some of the the takeaway is someone trying to build a culture or a business that, that you could say that you implemented and saw results quickly. Sorry, you guys said that there was nothing going to come up that I had to go, but um, something's come up. You guys both mentioned that you played at Miami. So <laughs> that 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 went from a 30 minutes. Man, we, we had 12 minutes. So Man. Uh, time is up. I uh, well, good thing no, is we I, haven't I, beat I, you guys I, in four, 15 years. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Don't. No, I, I think I think I think more than anything, people look at you know what it is that you're doing, and obviously the success on the football field is what gives you the opportunity. But I, first and foremost, I think you know being young and doing this, you know, I have not done it nearly as long as a lot of other guys you've had on, um, and especially in the head coaching role. I think to me, starting this idea of hey, being a head coach and, and doing this on your own, the number one thing to me was. Yes, recruiting and all, but the number one thing was getting the core of people that you know could give us an opportunity to have some stability in what it is we're doing, have some consistency, and all be on the same page. Because as you guys know, as you're playing 18 to 22 year olds in my mind, when you were playing, they're a lot easier to kind of conform and, and get to believe in if you're consistent and you know you care about them and you show some some type of uh, love and respect. 
18 to 22 hours in my mind, they'll do whatever. That's why the military loves taking 17, 18, 19 year olds and shaping them to what they want. Uh, it's much more difficult to take a 35, 40 year old, 50 year old and really get them to believe in the things that, you know, I believe, or we are need to believe, um, to have consistency, to get the, every single one of these 18 to 22 year olds on the same page. Uh, I'm sure coach Meyer would tell you it's much more difficult to get the right nucleus and the right, um, people all together in a, in a football stuff, especially with all the opportunities that are out there, um, to have that, to have those guys that, you know, that, you're going to speak the same language, say the same things, believe the same things, treat the kids the same ways. Um, I think it's much more difficult. And that's what's given us the bigger opportunity to have success. I know the kids do it on the field, but if you didn't have Coach Freeman, if you didn't have Coach Goodule, if you didn't have you know, Coach Mason and Coach Phillips, who just left us, and Coach Brady, our stride, I mean, you know, Coach Denbrock, who's been going to be here for his fourth year, Coach Crooks, I mean, you've been able to keep a core nucleus of guys that give us a chance to continue to grow what it is we're doing. Yeah. And, and one of the languages I think you guys were speaking this, this year was let it fly. Can you kind of touch upon that, that motto and, and what that means to your program? Well, it's kind of been the thing from the time we walked in the door here and, and, you know, it's even more so at a younger age because, you know, when somebody new comes in, there's all these different ideas, whether it's the way you're playing defense, the way you're playing offense, you know, and you're trying to get these kids to believe in seeing and doing. And then the reality is when that ball snapped, you know, they have to believe in what it is that they've got. They have to believe in what it is that they see. And if they're worried about making mistakes, it's like being a leader. You know, if you sit there and dwell over every little thing and you can't make a decision and move forward, there's no perfect decision. There's no perfect plan. So at some point in time, you got to believe in what it is you're doing and, and, and move forward. And it's the same way on a football field. And I want them to understand our players, our guys in our locker room more than anything that Guys, I understand it's a lot easier to press pause and, and put a laser pointer on it and figure things out. But in the heat of the moment, when you guys are out there, you got to not worry about the – you got to let it fly, man. In this game in particular, um, the only way you look fast and play fast is by believing in what you see and believing in what you do. And when you're worried about making mistakes, uh, you could be the fat, you could be a 4-5 guy or you could be a 10-4 guy in a 100-meter dash, you know. But if you can't let it fly and you can't do that when the ball's moved, you know what? You're not as fast as a football player. And I think that's when people evaluate and they say, hey, that's a fast football team. Well, it doesn't just mean that they're 40-yard dash fast. That means that, you know what, there's some lack of inhibition. They're not worried about making mistakes to allow them just to play as fast as they can. Same thing goes in the business world. You know, you, you make a mistake fast. You know, don't be a – don't be, as you just said, don't be afraid to make a decision. But you make, hold on, you make a lot of mistakes. So. But I make them yeah. fast. <laughs> but, but I make them fast. I've been telling. Like I, say, I, I say, fail falling forward. You know, yep. fail being aggressive, make a mistake, being aggressive, moving forward. Yep. That way, when you're falling forward, you got a chance to get yourself back up and keep rolling. As opposed to you're on your heels, you make a mistake falling backwards. Uh, you hit your rear. It takes a little bit longer to get up, and it's a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we actually were talking, <clears throat> we were kind of laughing because we work out together and we've been using after reading the, the book four to four to six, A to B, right? <clears throat> we're trying to do uh, one minute intervals and we're doing bridges and planks and we're like, oh, we're old now. now. Now we're just saying zero to 60, A to B. We're, we're sitting there trying to speak <laughs> these languages 
these dad bods. I'm not going to say that the TV or that maybe it's the podcast ads that, you know, I, it's hard. I'm saying you guys were, I'm not sure exactly what it is you do. Maybe you're on the Vrabel plan. I don't know if you saw all that, the, <laughs> the dad bods. I mean, you know, maybe you guys are onto that little plan. Or, hey, this, you can't outdo me too much and don't do too good a form. I don't know if that's the whole idea. Um, that's you're a little younger accurate. than some yeah. of us. <laughs> that, that's about accurate. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that's very- one of the, that's one of the more difficult things now is, you know, you're so, I'm so used to being in there working out around the guys, the energy that's created when you're around a program like that, uh, makes it a lot easier to, you know, to have your workouts, to get any workouts, probably like you guys, if you're going to a gym where there's, you know, a little bit more commotion and things going on, you know, to be able to be in this time to do a lot of these things on your own. Um, it's tough. This time will eat you up. If you're not disciplined, if you're not, you know, if you're a lazy person or an undisciplined person or a mentally weak person, this time in general will obviously kill 18 to 22 year olds in our world, but will kill all of us. Yeah. And, and I think that's one, you know, not to go on a tangent, but we do get up uh, every morning at, you know, five o'clock and we meet at a local park, undisclosed, undisclosed park, park. got kicked off by uh, police. But and yeah. they're, and they're, <laughs> we have to hop a fence. But people, you know, some people are like, wow, that's a lot of effort. But I've tried to work out at home and I don't have the discipline to do it. But I know if I have two or three people with me at a field for 45 minutes, we're going to get it done. And and it's been we've been consistent for a few weeks now. So that, that proves your point. You don't want to be that lazy person at home who's, you know, it'll eat you up. It truly will. It's hard. It's hard. That's what I worry about with our guys more than anything. Not that they're you know, everybody's got a laziness. It's just natural, right. you know, and to, to be so used to having those guys around you that you're accountable to and helps motivate you now having to do a bu- bunch of that on your own is it's hard. It's hard to be consistent. It's hard to you know get done what you need to get done. Yeah. And I think just to kind of conclude on the environment, I love watching, first of all, your guys' social media is fantastic and seeing all your guys' workouts and the energy and you got DJs and lights and I'm just like, who doesn't want to go play there? Because, man, the energy level and even on the sideline, you know, your whole team is jumping up and down on kickoffs and this. I mean, it's just the energy. And then you're coming in the locker room and jumping on ceilings. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of energy going on down there in, in uh, Cincinnati. So, love we, we, you know, the whole idea of let it play. But the idea is, is, you know, trying to have as much fun in this grand scheme of this thing as you can. It's such a big business. Um, and I saw it kind of work towards that a little bit more in the last 10 years. Um, and just trying to find a way to say, Hey, yes, it's a business, but how do we have as much fun as we possibly can in the midst of what it is we're doing? And if you don't have energy and you don't have some fun doing it, it, it can get grueling and it can be more of the, the negative side of the grind. For sure. Now kind of going back real quick on your time at Ohio state, I know coach, coach Tressel, obviously great coach, can you kind of, I know we talked upon your time with Urban, can you kind of talk about what Coach Tressel means to you and um, how he helped you develop as a man and a coach? Well, I think it's, he, by far the best man I've been around and um, just in, in the whole, the, the, the grand scheme of things, probably learned as much or more from him in the 10 years, nine and a half years that I, that I coached for him um, than I could say anybody. And I have the utmost respect for all, from the time I was in peewee football, being coached by John Hicks, you know, whether it's my dad, John Hicks, who was obviously an Outland Trophy winner and second in the Heisman and, you know, to all the way through junior high up into high school. I mean, my coaches were, you know, I say my idols, but in a lot of ways, the guys that I respected uh, as much as anybody that, you know, I've ever been around. And uh, so, but, but Jim Tressel is probably the one guy that um, has helped shape me in, in this profession, obviously at a, I was coaching for him at a younger age, 
um, but shaped me in this profession more than anybody. Just the balance you need to have, the, the consistency you need to have, and not just with your players, but with everything in general in your life. And um, there's still a guy that uh, that probably I talk to, you know, whether it's Mark D'Antonio or Jim Tressel, the two guys that I bounce ideas off of or, or reach out to more than more than anybody. Um, he's actually hopefully going to come on and speak with my with the staff here, and uh, maybe next week, and just in the midst of this time, just you know, pick a topic and, you know, try to pick his brain for an hour or so um, just because he was to me as good as anybody at what it is he did. What would you say along those, those, uh, the theme with coach uh, Tressel and D'Antonio, what would you say is like some of the commonalities of some of those great leaders that you have truly worked with? What would you say some of they, they share um, maybe a, a common theme, one or two common themes? everybody has to do it in there. Everybody's different. And I, I always try to, you know, a lot of what as I do is based off the guys I coach for um, and, and what you learn from. And obviously to me, coach Tress was the most consistent man I've ever been around in my entire life, you know? Um, and he was probably as authentic as anybody else. And he has a million different great qualities, but um, as a leader in what it is we did, uh, what made him as good as he is, is the consistency. I mean, it was never an up and a down. Um, any situation that was about peace and the, the ability to make decisions and calmly do things. That's, that's not me. Right. But that was him. And that was one of his greatest attributes. And then his natural authenticity. I mean, um, the first time I ever met him was I went down for an interview and uh, he got the job at Ohio state. Then following year, I, you know, there was a spot that came open and uh, he reached out about coming down for an interview. I went down and I interviewed with him for two hours Never once did he ask me a football question. Oh. I'm 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 interviewing for a football position on your staff, and for two hours you don't ask me one football question. And uh, that's something that always stood out to me because he was more concerned about okay, hey, we know enough football. It's what kind of people, what kind of person, what are the things that are going to drive and motivate you? Because I want to know who's going to be around the young people that you know I'm in charge of. Right. And and I think that's one thing that we've seen across a lot of coaches and yourself. And obviously you've taken a lot of those intangibles from all of your mentors. Um, speaking, I know you mentioned on, on Vrabel, one thing I, I wanted to talk about is your community leadership. You guys have, um, I guess, a charity or nonprofit you guys do together, right, to read to, to kids and help in Columbus still? No, it's all over. Actually, it's a foundation. It's a second and seven foundation. That's right. Yep. It's, a, it's a literacy program that started, oh gosh, 20... 21 years now, I think, um, 21 years ago. And it started off with us just buying or getting books and collecting books and maybe having to buy some books to give to second grade classes. And we started off reading um, and taking books to seven second grade classes. Obviously, football is a big part of our lives. And second and seven is where it came from. It started from you know us reading to seven second grade classes and looking at it and feeling like, Hey, this is an important time or down in what it is that we do, but also a really important time in these kids' lives when they're taking that idea, that next step into literacy. Um, and it's just grown from there. And we, we actually produce our own books. I think we've got, uh, maybe going on our 12th or 13th book. I might, I might be wrong. Maybe 14 this year, um, that we produced our own book, the hog mollies with different stories each year. Um, to, uh, it's probably in about 35 universities. So anybody that started, obviously, when we were in Columbus and it started there um, and we started using the university to help, to help read the classes and get it out in the community. And then any 
coach that left there and went someplace. Well, we had a lacrosse coach who went to North Carolina. Well, he took the program to North Carolina. We had an AD who left and went to Eastern Michigan. Well, she took the program to Eastern Michigan and she went from Eastern Michigan to Pitt. She's taken the program to Pittsburgh. So um, we've started it down here in Cincinnati and, and really have started to grow it. And we're hoping and looking to kind of put an office down here at the second and seven and really try to do a better job at reaching uh, the entire community down here. I think that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's great. I love it. And I see the guys going out into the communities and reading and, um, I just know as a kid, I can't imagine, you know, seeing a collegiate football player and other folks coming in to read is, is, um, and, and that's just tremendous. I love what you're doing it, there. It, it just reminds me when we see, I don't know if you can see the picture in the background, but when we see this yeah. face on TV, we know that there's a soft heart in there for these little kids. <laughs> don't tell anybody. <laughs> we won't. Yeah, we won't. <laughs> the ultimate wrestler, the, 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 the animated coach, he does have a, a soft heart in there. So yeah. it's, it's good tell to know. Tell my wife and kids that <laughs> in this quarantine. I'm not sure they see that soft heart there. They're like, geez, this every day you're on us. So Yeah, because um, you, you guys haven't spent – I know you you were uh, quoted or I saw in an interview something – and it's and I thought about it even myself is that the time that you have with your six kids you might not ever have this downtime ever again. So no, I, and and we tried to take advantage when it first happened and went away for six days um, and have been back and you know I think the greatest thing and we we said it my wife and I last night that we've had more family dinners in the last three weeks than we've probably had in the last ten years and you know that's not just because of my job that's also because of kids of sports. And, I mean, it, it gets overwhelming that there's not a probably a night goes by that a kid doesn't have something. And whether we sit down or try to have dinner, you're not having it all together. And, you know, someone's got to go get somebody. And so this has been a really tough and tough and difficult time for all of us and everybody. But there's been some incredible things that uh, are going to come out of it as well. And it was a big, um, I don't know if this happened at the dinner table, if the offer was given at the dinner table, but uh, Landon, <laughs> your son, was offered by uh, Cincinnati last week or the week before. So It had been a little bit. I I'd kind of kept it quiet. I said, you know, all these things that are done publicly, we're going to you know, do some things that are quiet. And I've kind of stayed out of it. The Coach Freeman and Coach Crook and them have done an incredible job, um, you know, because it, it is a little bit of a different situation and a little bit tougher um, but that's another great thing about having guys with you for, you know, as long as we've been here and a core nucleus to what we're doing, they don't, you, you can trust them, right. you know, they're not mm-hmm. making decisions. If they're brand new, it would be a really difficult possible situation that, you know, they can't give their true opinion of what they believe and what they think. So I want to transition to, uh, when you were making the switch from Ohio state and taking the job at UC in 2016, um, so I saw an article where you had showed up back at Ohio State and you had just left UC. Um, and Coach Combs had said, uh, I guess you had put a sweater vest or a sweater on over uh, top of your UC shirt. Um, and the article goes on to talk about, and you hear this a lot when coaches are leaving, whether they're going to stay for the bowl game and you were preparing for the national championship while in the back, probably front of your mind as well, thinking about rebuilding a UC program. Can you touch on that just kind of how that situation typically breaks down and why you made the decision to stay at Ohio State through um, the national championship while balancing taking on the UC job and thinking about uprooting a family and moving to Cincinnati, Ohio? Oh, it's always tough. I mean, everybody has their opinions on on what people should do. And, you know, I've talked to several coaches that, you know, have stayed and they're like, if I had to do it all over again, I'd have taken off right away. And, um, 
I know this, that it didn't turn out the way we wanted it when we ended. Um, I mean, in the last game before I came here, uh, but I wouldn't do it in any, any way different. And, and in my heart and what I believe and try to instill on whether it's you know, my own kids or the kids in our program, you got to finish what you, what you started. And I know in some times and, you know, there's not an opportunity to do that, but um, in every chance that you have, it's really difficult to walk away. And it's not just because I was at my alma mater. It's not just because I'd you know, been coaching there for 15 years. Um, it, it, it wouldn't have mattered if it had been one or two years. It's just, I think when you start something and when you, you know, you try to build a trust in especially 18 to 22 year old kids um, to walk out on them. And, and, and don't get me wrong. At some point in time, we have coaches that leave. And at some point in time, you know, you might have to leave, you know, whether they get rid of you or not. And, you know, kids will rebound fast, but I just think that deep down in my heart and I know in my mind to walk away from something without actually finishing it um, is not something I was brought up to do. And uh, more than anything, I think my dad would and parents would look at me and, and probably question why I would be doing that. And to me, that meant a lot more than, you know, Hey, since I said, you need to be here right now or, um, you know, Ohio State said, hey, I don't want you. you know, if you're going someplace else, if your mind's going to be someplace else, I want you gone. Um, hopefully that they trusted that they knew what I was going to give it everything I got <clears throat> and I was going to finish what uh, what we had started. Absolutely. No, it's commendable. And obviously that's why your guys love playing for you. I think that's the one thing <clears throat> Bill and I, one of your friends, were speaking about just the guys want to will do anything for you. And I think that's the, the, the relationships that go on past not only you're developing men through the four or five years you have them on on your team but what transpires after um your other time in college and becoming adults and productive citizens in, in our society is tremendous so thank you for being the leader you are there we usually do a rapid fire got a couple couple uh, fun ones for you we end uh put you a little on the hot seat so okay um at the age of 50 we were talking about two of your your uh, other coaches at age 50 who would win in a foot race a 40 yard dash trestle or uh meyer uh oh gosh i Tress was 49 when 2002 when he won the title and he looked pretty good i'd say uh Tress because Tress had only been in the position he'd been in at, at ohio state for two years and if urban would have stayed there till he was 50 the pressure and the things that would have broken his body down by the time he got to be 50, I don't think he'd have been able to run for you. <laughs> That's great. That's a I great answer. I was thinking in my mind, what are some different questions that the normal person doesn't ask you? And I was like, that I'm one glad was you didn't ask me because I don't know if I could beat anybody a 40-yard dash when I get to 50. Uh, no, I think you're, you're, you're in good shape. You don't have the dad bod at all, so you're, you're all right. Yeah, just as long as it's not running 40-yard dash. <laughs> so I saw that you went to a uh, concert. I, I don't know what year this was. Uh, Taylor Swift concert with your daughter. Are you a big concert guy? And if so, what's the last concert you attended? Last concert would have been Kenny Chesney this summer at Riverbend. I think it was the last concert. I took the, the coaches to uh, Garth Brooks at U.S. Bank Arena our first year. That was awesome. Um, the Taylor Swift for all the my daughter and the goddaughters, we did that for about three years in a row. And one concert in college was Pink Floyd in the stadium when I was a sophomore in college. Other than that, I'd never really been to any concerts. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, uh, question, I, do you think you look like Adam Sandler? I was going through Google. <laughs> and so I had a group of people uh, laughing. There, there, do, do you think you look some, like him? There are some, resembl some resemblances. Uh, I only wish I sang as well and was as funny <laughs> as he was. But beyond that, 
you know, we'll see as he gets a little bit older, if he can continue to resemble me a little more. There you go. There you go. He, he is, I haven't seen an Adam Sandler movie for a while, but back in the day, Billy Madison and Happy oh, Gilmore yeah. were, were just oh, yeah. incredible. I'm, I'm going to be curious as to how, what the quarantine does to him. Cause I don't know how <laughs> disciplined, how lazy or not lazy or how mentally strong he's going to be, uh, to try to stay uh, in some semblance of shape in this, in the midst of all this. So we'll see. Sure. Sure. Um, so what is your, you know, during the season, it's a lot of people I don't think realize there's no day off from the time camp starts to the last game of the season, your Sunday through Sunday. Um, and now that there's, you know, everything that's going on with COVID-19, what is your morning routine? I know you believe you uh, like your coffee with cream only. I did find that out. Um, <laughs> a little but, bit. But other than that, uh, what is your morning routine? What time do you wake up? And typically, what do you typically do before uh, really getting your day started? So we got a new morning routine. So it's it's uh, it's it doesn't start quite as early. So at six o'clock we get up, and actually I sit with my wife for about a half an hour and have a cup of coffee, sit on the couch, and just kind of hang out there for thirty minutes, and then I go and uh, start my workout. I'll do my workout some mornings. And I'm not going to tell you, but some mornings she has a workout class that I got to do with her. Um, so nice. I think usually maybe Tuesdays, Thursdays, and sometimes on Sundays, we have a bar class that she suckers me into doing. I wouldn't tell you, but it's really hard. So don't let it take you. <laughs> um, so I, I work out at, at basically from 6.30 to about 7.30, 7.40 shower. I'm sitting at my desk here. Uh, to begin at 7 45 8 o'clock and then uh, that's how I get started and then after 3 30 I work out the kids and I work out with them usually too so we got a little routine to make sure they're getting their workouts and which gives me a little extra as well awesome Keegan Keegan so that's my uh, workout routine Keegan nice. my brother-in-law uh who's who uh, wanted me to ask you because he hadn't seen you for a little while um the face the what's going on with the the facial uh the beard stuff he goes that's not been quarantined uh worthy so uh, yeah, what's that, going that, on there that just started you know we said hey well i guess when they didn't shave in the first few days of the quarantine and i said well i'll let it go and now i started having to really kind of shave it down because it is a, i don't know how people do it it's it's annoying as all get out so yeah um i kind of said i started it and so i'm gonna wait to the end of quarantine before i shave it but i couldn't let it just keep growing i don't <laughs> So you see some of those old linemen and even Ben Rothenberg or whatever now. I mean, he's those guys, I don't know how in the heck they, yeah. I don't yeah. know how they do it. That's his old it's roommate right here. He, yeah, well, you got to call, you call your boy, tell him to get Yeah, he, I saw him on some, something. I'm like, that looks – looks like, like he's look been on an there. island. Yeah, he, he's yeah, got like I mean, the Tom Hanks going on. It's yeah. an annoying as all get out. <laughs> uh, well, last question I have for you. So uh, one of my college roommates was Braden Combs. I think me and you have talked about this, but we're going to have Carrie hopefully on the program here in the next couple of weeks. What is a question, just like we asked Urban, what would we should ask uh, you, Coach Fickle? What what would uh, what should we ask uh, Coach Combs that the oh average my. person wouldn't know? Oh no, I, there's there's a couple I could bring up to to ask him, but uh, you know I, I'm going to stick to uh, the professional side of some of these. Um, I would really be curious as to you know, and it's hard to get a, a perfect example, but what was his experience like in the NFL? Did he really? Because Kerry's a as you guys know, I mean, he's a relationship guy. He loves kids. I mean, a high school coach, college coach. Um, and that dynamic is just maybe a little bit different at the next level. So I would be, my first thing would be, you know, what was it that brought you back? And, and was it a bit of the relationships and the things that you have an opportunity to build um, with the guys you coach? 
That's, that's awesome. That's, Great question. And and, I, and I, I just heard, uh, I was talking with some friends a few weeks back uh, that actually played in the NFL, and it was just so ironic to hear them say, to your point, that they could have lunch with the guy at noon, and then by 4 o'clock the guy was cutting on a different team. So when you talk about the relationships thing, I, I'd be curious to hear what his response is to that, being have built, built his career on relationships with high school yeah. and college kids. So. It's crazy. It, it's hard. I mean, I know that, like I said, my buddy <clears throat> Vrabel's the head coach, and and it's just it's it's still a game, but but it's such a business. Yeah. And you know, you've got to be able to do that. You got to be able to separate. You know, having lunch with the guy, and then you know, two hours later, you know, basically saying, "Hey, you're out of here," and you know, I'm I'm sorry, your kids are sick, or your wife does this, or I mean, it's, this is a business decision, and um, so it, it's different, and. You know, to me, it's not. That's probably one of the reasons why I've never been as much intrigued to go to that next level because, um, as different as it is being a head coach and losing some of that connection and relationships with, with the guys you spend every day with, to go to that one, I think is even uniquely different, uh, in my idea. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we can't appreciate your time. I know, even though uh, I know you're recruiting like crazy, having a great class. Can't wait to see what this 2021. Class ends up being, um, I know uh, you guys are building a tremendous program. Even we, we did go to Miami and we thought you're going to end this, this call. So we appreciate your, your time, but <laughs> take um, it easy on us, coach. <laughs> hey, yeah. hey, rivalries are always great. Yeah, they yes. are. Absolutely. Oh, man. I didn't grow up around it and understand it and know it, but I think probably the first thing I did when I got here is, is making sure we study and understand not just the history of our own program, uh, the history of our university, but also the history of the rivalry. And um, I know there was a thought two years ago, not to keep going to, to, you know, it was brought to me, Hey, do you want to end this rivalry? Because they're having a you know dispute on games and where, and, and I say, I, you know what? No, I don't think that that's a great thing to do. There's a history here. There's a rivalry here. And, you know, more than anything, we want to be able to continue to, to, to keep that because a lot of these people, a lot of people recognize it. And, and, uh, you know, we've already had for us in the university of Cincinnati, I've already had, you know, the league changes where a lot of people don't recognize the UCFs of the world or, you know, want to maybe, Hey, I, I remember playing Pitt or I remember playing West Virginia, um, as they do even a lot of the old times going back to, Hey, the, the rivalry with us in Miami. So it's great. Awesome. Well, as I said to mention, I, I truly believe it. Um, best competitor in the States ever seen, and you're competing on all different levels, still at the collegiate level, building a program representing our state of Ohio and obviously where we live and reside in Cincinnati. So thank you for being ambassador of uh, athletes and, and those that are in leadership and, and really the state and this local area. Really, you know, you are a leader to our region and, and really appreciate what you're doing. Well, appreciate you guys having me. Appreciate thanks. it, Coach. Thank All right, you. Thanks, Coach. Right. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you. See you. Thanks for listening to The Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps. And send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free T-shirt. See you next week on the UDP.